Luke chapter 20, and this evening we will begin reading out of verse 19 and continue uh, through verse 26. Luke 20, beginning in verse 19. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able to they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through your word, you reveal to us your son, Jesus, and that Jesus is the image of God. Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that we may know you, Lord. And Father, as your word is being preached today, as we pray and as we sing, Lord, we pray that your spirit would be among us, that you would minister to us, that you would open up our spiritual eyes to see and to behold Jesus. Father, do this. And as I preach, Lord, whatever is your word, may it remain and may it go and bear much fruit and whatever's not from you, may it fall to the ground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In our text that we just read, we see that the priests are clearly on a mission to lay their hands on Jesus to kill him. Uh, And so in our text here, we see that they have come up with a plan on how they're going to do this. And so the question is, how did Jesus even get into this mess? Uh, What did he do that they are so upset with him that they want to uh, kill him? And over the past few weeks, we, we saw this story, this drama unfold. First, Jesus entered into Jerusalem like a king, simply and plainly declaring himself the Messiah. Secondly, he went into the temple uh, where the priests rule, where they govern. He went on their turf and turned over tables of money changers and sellers, driving them out, out of the house of God out of the house of prayer. And when Jesus is drilled by the priests, when they come to him and ask him, by what authority do you do these things? Who give you the right to walk into Jerusalem like this and then go into the temple 
overstep our authority to do all these things, who gives you the right to do this? Jesus. And so the third thing he did to really set them off is he told them a parable in which Jesus again tells them that he is the Son of God and that they are wicked tenants who will kill Jesus, and for this God will destroy them and cast them out. And as a nail on a coffin, Jesus asks them a final question, which we looked at last week. He asks them, what then is this that is written? And he quotes a psalm of David. And he asks them, what does David mean when he, when he says this? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And by asking this question, Jesus is showing them through scriptures that the true Messiah must be rejected. He must be killed. He must be cast out. But this rejection will not succeed. The rejected stone will become a cornerstone. That the rejection of Christ will prove his power and dominion. And so we see as Jesus' ministry is coming to an end, he is more and more clear about who he is, and he uses more and more scriptures to show the priests and the Pharisees that he is the true Messiah. And this, in turn, more and more hardens their hearts against Christ. And in their blindness, the response of the priests we see in our text. Uh, they get together. They get together and they make a plan. They come up with this plan, how they're going to get rid of Jesus. And so they decide to, to send spies, to send secret agents uh, who will pretend to be sincere. They will pretend to be uh, some of the common folks who are just there to ask Jesus genuine questions. And the goal of these spies is to trap Jesus, to catch Jesus in his own words, to catch him off guard. And the purpose of this, why are they doing it? Well, verse 20 we see, so that they can in turn deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. And so last week we saw that the priests uh, are very powerful. They are the most powerful group of people in the Jewish uh, culture. But as powerful as they are, they do not have the authority to actually arrest and execute Jesus. That power belongs to the governor who at this time is Pontius Pilate. He is there by the authority of Rome and he has the jurisdiction, he has the power to convict, to try, and to execute criminals. And so to get rid of Jesus, they cannot add, act on their own accord. They need to convince the civil magistrates, the civil authority, they need to convince Rome that Jesus has committed a crime against Rome. That's, that's their goal. That, that's what they need uh, to build a case against Jesus. They need to catch Jesus violating Roman law. And so the plan is to ask Jesus a question that will provoke him to say something that will violate the Roman rule of law. 
You know, they had to think hard. It's, it's hard to catch Jesus doing anything wrong. He never sinned. And so this has to be a very brilliant question. They, they have to think hard of how they're going to trap Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew tells us that the priests and the Pharisees also convinced a group of people called the Herodians uh, to come with them to trap Jesus. Um, the Herodians, they were followers of Herod. Herod is the governor of Judea who represents the Jewish interests in Rome. But he himself is half Jew. He's half Jewish. And so he did not take seriously the law of God. Neither did his followers, the Herodians. And so the priests and the Pharisees, they hated the Herodians. They don't like them. These are people who despise the law of God. But here we see they join forces together to go against Jesus. And the reason why the priests need the Herodians to come with them, the reason why they need them on their side is because the Herodians have power and authority before civil magistrates. They are more respected before Rome and before Herod than the priests. And so the priests want them there. They want them there when they come secretly to Jesus so the Herodians could hear Jesus violate the Roman law, speak against Rome, so that when Jesus is trapped, when he screws up, the Herodians, who have a voice before the government, can hear him trip up. That's why they're invited to this place. We're, we don't have that in our text, but the Gospel of Matthew uh, includes that detail. And so we see this is not a small operation. They thought this through. Alliances had to be made with enemies to go against a common enemy. And so they all come to Jesus in pretense of sincerity, and they pose this question. But before they do, like any uh, good challenge, they first butter Jesus up. Well, they try to butter him up. They praise Jesus. We read in verse 21, they say, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. What a compliment. And this compliment is true. All these things that they're saying about Jesus, these things are true. Their praises of Jesus are correct. Jesus does speak truth. He does teach rightly. Jesus does not show partiality. He's not swayed by the popular opinion of the crowds. He is not fearful of man or his opinion. Jesus teaches the way of God. All these things are true. The problem is that they don't believe a single word that they're saying about him. They are hypocrites. And they ask a question. After attempting to butter him up, they ask the question. And the question is the age-old question that still plagues some of us even today. Should we pay taxes? Verse 22, is it lawful for us to give tribute, which means taxes, to Caesar or not. And you can imagine they were thinking long and hard about the most perfect question to present before Jesus to entrap him. 
They spend a lot of time on this question. But as we today, as we hear this question, is it lawful to pay taxes? We may think to ourselves, how is this even a trick question? How is this even a question that could entrap Christ? We know, of course, Jesus can get in trouble if he answers, no, you shouldn't pay your taxes. But can't Jesus just say, yes, you should pay your taxes and the matter is over? How is this a good question to trap Jesus with? If someone today tells us, hey, you shouldn't pay your taxes, uh, we would think that person is strange, that we need to be careful around him. On the contrary, if someone tells us today, you should pay your taxes, we wouldn't think anything of it. We would just say, yeah, you should pay your taxes. So again, we wonder, why would this be the question that the so-called spies chose to present to Jesus? Where is the trap? Is there no better question? Well, it wasn't this simple for Jesus to answer the question with a yes. This is a very controversial topic for the Jews. This is a very painful question for all the Jews. Notice how they pose the question. They're not simply saying, should we pay taxes? They ask him, is it lawful? In other words, according to God's law, that's the law that they have in mind. Not Roman law, but their law. Is it lawful? According to God's law, is it legal to pay taxes to Caesar? And the reason why this is a legitimate question is because Exodus 30, verses 11 through 16, God instructs Israel how they are to pay their taxes. And we're not going to get into all the details of it, but the important detail that we find in Exodus 30 is that taxes were paid as an offering to the Lord. When Jews paid their taxes, they were paying them as an offering to the Lord. So every Jew paid tax as worship to God. They paid them in obedience to God and his law, and they did it with joy and pride. And the reason why this was, uh, this was a point of pride for them is because taxes display who you are subject to, who is over you. The Jews were pr- proud of, uh, of the fact that they paid taxes directly to God. He is over them. He is their king. He is their Lord. They pay their money directly to him. And so to them, taxes were not just a civil matter, separate somehow from God. Taxes was a matter of worship. It was a very holy thing that the Jews did. But now that the Jews are under the occupation of Rome, a foreign king is ruling over them. Rome levied taxes on them. Often these taxes were unjust. They came along and they said, hey, the tax that you pay to your God, from now on, you got to pay it to Caesar. Caesar is your king. Caesar is your Lord. And you can imagine how the Jews felt about this. Again, to them, paying taxes was a matter of worship. 
they can't not pay taxes to Caesar. They would be taxed, charged with tax evasion. But when they do pay their taxes, they feel as though their conscience is violated because they feel as though they are violating God's law by giving it to Caesar. To them, it feels as though they are forced to worship Caesar himself. The priests obviously know this dilemma. They calculated this. They suppose, they they think they got Jesus. Anyway, he answers, it's a lose-lose for him. It's a win-win for them. And so these covert covert spies, they come to Jesus and they ask him, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? How's Jesus supposed to answer the question? If he answers, yes, it is lawful, he makes himself an enemy of God's law, proving he is a false teacher. And he also becomes an enemy of the people. And if Jesus answers, no, it's not lawful, then he makes himself a direct enemy of the state. Either way, Jesus loses. And the public pressure is high. And so knowing some of this background, we can see that the question is actually pretty brilliant. He says, yes, the crowds will turn against him. He says, no, they got a case against him before the governor. So how does Jesus respond? First, we read in verse 23, but he perceived their craftiness. Jesus, being God, knows the heart of every man. And Jesus did not fall victim to their craftiness. He knew exactly what they were up to. He knew exactly who they were, that they're not no common men. These are Pharisees, priests, and Herodians secretly coming to him. And so he perceived it. He knew what they were doing. And church, this is a side note. The same spirit of Christ that knows the heart of every man is the spirit that dwells in us, God's people today. And we also must pray for discernment so that we too may perceive and discern the craftiness of our enemy and the Holy Spirit is able to give us this knowledge. The spirit of God that was upon Jesus that allowed him to perceive their craftiness is the same spirit that is within us today. And so we must pray for God to give us this discernment. So how does Jesus respond to them? We read in verse 24, he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. A denarius was a coin that was worth about one day's wage, basically what 100 bucks was worth in 1990. <laughs> um, and so when this coin was minted, the face of the current Caesar 
ruling was imprinted on it. So on one side of the coin, you have his face, and on the same side, the the words were Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. So it was the name of uh, of the Caesar who was reigning. And on the other side of the coin, it would say Pontifex Maximus, which means supreme priest or highest priest, meaning there is no greater or higher priest or authority than Caesar. And this coin, Caesar's likeness, this portrait on the coin, becomes the key to dismantling the trap that is set before them. And what Jesus does is he creates a division between the civil and the spiritual governments. He says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, that's the civil, and to God the things that are God's. This is the spiritual. And by having them take a coin and say who's who's. Who's on there? Who, di- who, who claims to be king over them? Jesus tells them the money that they worked hard for, the money that they used, it has Caesar's image on it. And the mi- image on the coin is proof that whether they like it or not, in this area of life, they are under his subjection. They live under his lordship. They are using the money that he minted. It is Caesar's money to begin with. So give to him what is his. These are Caesar's things to begin with. And give God the things that are God's and belong to God. If Israel was its own sovereign nation minting its own money, living faithfully under God's law, then yes, Exodus 30 would be applicable. But by their own disobedience, by their own rejection of God's law, they lost that privilege and blessing of their own sovereignty, and they find themselves under Romans' rule using Caesar's money. Jesus says it's his The very likeness of Caesar on the coin proves the fact that it is his. Give to him what is already his and give to God what is God's. And we read, and they were not able to, not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Even those who came to entrap him, those who were angry with Christ, they marveled at his answer. And they became silent. They had nothing else to say. They could not argue with Jesus. They knew he was right. So they left him. But greater than dismantling 
the trap that was set before him. What Jesus is doing here is he is helping the conscience, conscience, the conscience of the Jews living in the tension of this great question. All the Jews are struggling. Are we worshiping Caesar when we pay taxes? Are we violating God's law? They're struggling with this question. Are we worshiping Caesar by using the money that even says that Caesar is the highest priest? For the Jews, all of life, physical, spiritual, civil, religious, moral, every aspect of their life must conform to the, God, to the law of God. There was no room for Caesar. Everything was God's. Yet they're living under the oppression of Rome, and Rome is demanding they do things according to Caesar and not God, violating their conscience. And Jesus puts a division between the things of Caesar and the things of God. Jesus makes a distinction, a division between the civil and the spiritual governments. Give God what pertains to him, what is under his dominion, and give to Caesar what is his. You are responsible to God, and you are responsible to Caesar. We see Jesus clearly is teaching civil obedience. Paul will build on this teaching in Romans 13, calling the church, the people of God, to be subject to the authority, the governing authorities. We read this in Romans uh, 13, 1 through 7. Peter does the same, calling us to be subject to our authorities, to be obedient to them, to honor them. Scripture is clear, paying taxes to and obeying even an oppressive government does not violate God's law. We must give to Caesar what is Caesar's. We must give to God what is God's. But Scripture doesn't stop there. Jesus, Peter, and Paul are not calling us to obey God 50% of our life and obey Caesar and the other 50% of the things. Scripture isn't even calling us to obey God 60, 80, 90% of the time, and the rest we obey Caesar. Scripture is clear that we have one God, that we have one master, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is Lord, and Jesus is Lord over all. He is Lord over Caesars. He is Lord over kings. He is Lord over all rulers and over all authorities, all of them, even if they call themselves the highest and most supreme priest, they will all stand before Christ. All the authorities that are ruling today, they will stand before Christ. They will bow down to him and they will give an account of how they ruled and reigned. And because Christ is Lord, and because this command to pay taxes and to be subject to the governing authorities, because this command comes from him, our Lord, when we obey the government, when we pay our taxes, even if the government is evil, ultimately we are not worshiping them. We are worshiping Christ because we are doing so in obedience 
to him. This means that to give Caesar what belongs to Caesar is to actually give God what belongs to God. This falls under one umbrella. And this principle applies to all of life. At work, we must obey and submit to our bosses and masters. In the home, husbands must submit to Christ. Wives must submit to their husbands. Children must submit to their parents. This is how we all submit to one another. This is what Christ has established, what God has established. And when we do this, ultimately our obedience to and submission is obedience to and submission to Christ. He is Lord over all. But again, Scripture does not stop there. If Christ is Lord over all, if Christ, not the government, not the parents, not the husband, but Christ has authority over all, and if he is supreme, and if our allegiance is to Christ, first and foremost, this means that there is a line, that there is a point where our obedience to civil magistrates must come to an end. And everybody wonders, where's that line? When do I stop obeying the government? When is it lawful for me to disobey the civil magistrates? Here's a line. That line is when they command us to do what God has forbid us to do. Or when they tell us not to do what God has commanded us to do. When they command us to do what God has forbid us to do, or when they tell us to not do what God has commanded us to do, that is the line. Some examples. When God commands his church to gather, and the civil magistrates tell us not to gather, who do we obey? Christ or Caesar? When God declares that he has made man and ma- man male and female and the civil governments tell us to affirm and support the confusion of so many in our culture who do we obey Christ or Caesar When God declares that the killing of human life including the unborn is an evil sin and the civil magistrates say it's not so don't fight it and don't speak against it, who must we obey, Caesar or Christ? When God declares that marriage is between male and female, and everything else is a mirage, not a marriage, but a mirage, the civil magistrates announce that mirages are marriages, who do we obey, Christ or Caesar? When the apostles were commanded by Jesus to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded. And then Caesar comes along and tells them to stop proclaiming Christ. Who do they obey, Christ or Caesar? 
When the church declares that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the highest priest, not Caesar, and Caesar tells them to denounce Christ and proclaim that Jesus, that, that Caesar is Lord, as it has happened many times through church history, who will you obey? Christ or Caesar? We disobey when they command us to do what God forbids or they tell us not to do what God commands. And it's not just the civil government who often tell us to do things that are in opposition to God's word. But there is a spiritual Caesar, powers and authorities in the heavenly places that work hard to tell us how we are to live. Both the world and Christ are telling us what is good, what is true, what is beautiful, and these two messages are opposed to one another. Who will you obey? Christ or Caesar? Church, we are clearly called to give Caesar what is his. And we will stop at the stop signs. We will pay taxes. We will register our cards, cars. We will get permits for our homes. And may we diligently obey them as we obey the Lord. May we diligently be subject to the governing authorities. But we will also give God what is his. And if Caesar lays claim on the things that are God's, we will obey God rather than man. And so help us, God, church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word. That you give us clear instruction and expectation of how we are to live in the world that we are in. And Father, may we hear your command. May we obey the civil magistrates and the governing authorities over us diligently, joyfully, when they are evil or when they are good. And Father, help us also to give you what is yours. And yours is all, Lord. You rule and reign over all. So Lord, when Caesar tells us to not obey you, may we obey you. May we have the courage, may we have the boldness to please you, Father. And when Satan, who devises and plans to covertly, like these Pharisees and priests, come to us and trap us and to go against your word, Father, may we submit to you and not to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, Lord, you instruct us. You haven't left us in the dark on all these matters. And we pray that we would submit under your authority. 
In Jesus' name we pray.